my own gums. Right then, what is good with you lot? I'm Thomas Griffin and this is My Own Gums. This week, I'm sitting down with Georgia Smith. She's one half of the team behind the Purple Mountain Observatory brand, who've made some of the most exciting outdoor gear of the past few years. Georgia's London-based but mad keen on getting outside, and the clothing she designs is really reflected in this. She runs bouldering events, classes and workshops for the female outdoor collective Goat Girls and does tons of other ace and interesting stuff. I'm buzzing to chat to her about her love of beautiful technical design and see how she got to where she is today. This is going to be the last episode of Series 2, but don't sweat it, we won't leave you hanging for too long. Series 3 is in the can and we'll have the first episode out in a few weeks time when I've had a chance to go and look at some trees instead of a laptop screen for a bit. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're getting this episode and get the next batch delivered straight to your feed. Okay, let's do it. This is My Own Garms with Georgia Smith. Georgia, thank you very, very much for coming on. No worries, it's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. It's a nice sunny day in London, Is so it? happy. Yeah. I've been hermiting in my hotel room, so I've not even seen the daylight today. Yeah, I mean, at least I bought you some nice Lola's oh, cupcakes to yeah. cheer it up. <laughs> um, on the cupcake front, a recent happy birthday is in order, correct? Yeah, just... I'm not going to say my age, but yeah, just Many, add well, another. You're a lot younger than me still, so don't worry about it. I'm not sure that I look it. You're doing really well. <laughs> Many happy returns. Was it a big party weekend for you? Not anymore, no. I've just done three years sober, so don't, thank you very much yet, uh, don't really have big parties anymore. But um, me and a good friend, Luke, who's actually been on the Form pod. Former guest, friend yeah, of the pod. Um, we had a very cute little climbing party. Very so, nice. Yeah, pizza and climbing. Good, where at? <laughs> um, we climb at Yonder in Black Horse Road. Have I been to that one? Is that north? Yeah, it's like, do you know Black Horse Road? Don't know London. No, it's much. it's north. It's like it's really nice inside. It's um the founders are like a climber and an architect. Okay. Oh um, nice. So it's like Dream. really yeah, it's so nice. It's definitely the nicest one, like in terms of aesthetic. I'll have to get <laughs> onto that one. Um you're not long back from an alpine excursion with some of the outdoorsy fashion heads too, right? We touched on it in the bonus uh, material, but tell us a little bit more about that. Who took you out yeah, there? Yeah, that was a an amazing trip. It was um, I'm going to get this right, Vandalust, okay. um and Woolrich. And they took us to this amazing place, really northern Italy, um, called Savinia. And it was just, it was so beautiful. We all felt very spoiled. There was no Wi-Fi or signal, so we were all pretty happy, oh but couldn't God. post. <laughs> How did it feel to be without that for a few days? It was exactly what I think most of us needed. And I think something that we all said afterwards was that we bonded loads more because no one could actually work because mm. no one had any internet. Yeah. So, you know, we actually like stayed at dinner the whole night chatting. And I think we came away from that actually like bonded way more. I think two of the people that we went with, I actually am pretty good friends with. Yeah. So that's Ollie and uh, James from Greater Goods. Yeah. But there was some other people there um, who were just really amazing. We came away from it like being really good friends in the end. I'm sure and, it makes people more amazing mm-hmm. than not being connected as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. And surprising exactly. in its difference to normal life, maybe. Mm. It was funny, though, because like, I think that the Vandalus team did want us to post, but we couldn't. <laughs> so there was this, like, basically, like, one part of the um, the hotel that had a bit of signal. And we'd, like, all kind of, like, go there together to see if they had signal and be like, no, nope, no signal. But sometimes there was, and then yeah. we'd all try and do a little post. But I thought you meant that they funny. kind of designed this non-digital retreat for no. you. It was just the fact that where you were was so remote that you couldn't 
That would have been better, but actually the hotel was closed and they'd opened it for right, okay. um, the event. Um, so I don't know, it just like wasn't working or it's just rubbish. But there wasn't actually any signal there because it was just so remote. Yeah. But yeah, it was actually amazing. It makes me think like I need to do that more. So actually this weekend when I went home, I did try and like turn my phone off when I went back to Yorkshire just yeah. to like get a bit of time away. It's so, so good for you. But I mm. feel like I need it imposed on me because if I'm, if it's left to myself, just the thought of it being there is a distraction. If you are somewhere where it isn't even an option, then it becomes yeah. very real, I think. And we mentioned about uh, Wanderlust in the... So listen to me pronouncing it like the most German chap in the world. I'll just say We had one. to do like a video um, recording and they were like saying Wanderlust and I was like, do we have to say Wanderlust or are we saying like Wanderlust? That's weird. how it's pronounced. Yeah. Anyway, they were like, you know, you say Wanderlust, but then when I was doing the video, I was just like Wanderlust. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a tricky one with like... I was listening to Blind Boy this morning, one of my favourite podcasters, and he was like, the Brits all say croissant when they're talking about croissants, and I say croissant. Like, and it, you know. You do, or no, Blind no, Boy? Blind Boy does. Oh, I right. say croissant because I don't know. That's just what I mean, you say. I mean, it's a French word. I feel like you should say it how they say it. It is, but it's, where do you draw the line at that? You can't go around pronouncing everything in a lot. It sounds like you're taking the piss a bit, I think. It, I, I do but, hear you, but I think. French is definitely one that you can get away with just yeah. saying it in the French accent because, like, it's France. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. I it did is. feel like a bit of a knob saying, like, <laughs> Vandalist, but, like, everyone was saying it the whole weekend, so I was like, okay, that's what it is. Maybe if you get the letters right but don't really lean into the pronunciation, you could say Vandalust instead of saying, like, Vandalust like, <laughs> and really flipping your accent. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, Wanderlust. <laughs> You told us a little bit about it in the bonus yeah. um, stuff, but Woolrich is a brand that I don't know tons about. It's quite an old brand, yeah, quite a heritage thing. Do you know much more they, about them? I'm pretty sure they started making blankets or okay. parkas. I can't remember. Col Colts is what I associate them with. Yeah, yeah. I used to have one of those like wool parkas from back yeah. in the day. Yeah, so they were just kind of like outerwear and like blankets. Um, and then now they've like partnered with... Um, Vandalist. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's, they're doing some amazing stuff. It's like the jackets that they gave us, these parkas, they're so good. They're yeah. so cozy. Um, so yeah, they've got some nice bits. I love it when you get these heritage brands. I was talking to Tim from This Thing of Ours on one of the mm. podcasts and they did a collaboration with Macintosh, another kind Ooh. of like heritage yeah, nice. brand. And you're getting all this hundreds of years of fabric experience with yeah. a contemporary mind. And I think, yeah. The, the possibilities for that kind of collaboration are mm. really, really strong. Yeah, that's exciting. Rep your ends. So you are from up north, aren't you? I am. Doncaster, Doncaster. yeah? Yeah, Specific-ish, like Doncaster Central or a little bit on oh, the outskirts? Oh, no, not, unfortunately not. Um, no, from like the sticks. So it's okay. like 30 minutes from Doncaster driving. Okay. Yeah, my parents actually still live in the house that we grew up in. Yeah. But we like, I was kind of like, very early years till 10 in a really kind of pretty cute little village and then my dad is a carpenter and he needed more space okay so we moved to a village close by um which I didn't really like very much okay it was like not really any kids there yeah and moving at 10 like leaving all your friends at 10 is like quite hard mm, I like to get your it, entire so like, world then isn't yeah it? I mean that's all you know when you're 10 so yeah. I was kind of like hating my parents for a while okay yeah it's about yeah it's 30 minutes from Doncaster 
I didn't really spend that much time there until I was like a bit older. Mm. We like used to get the bus to Donny Dome. Yeah, you heard? what's Donny Dome? Oh my god, Donny Dome! Is it like a snow center thing? Kind of, yeah. It's like um, ice skating okay. and like uh, what's it called? Like a, kind of like a mini water park. Um, it's actually pretty sick. Sounds yeah. like it'll have a big electricity bill. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. So me and my brother used to have uh, ice skating lessons. Um, Did you get good? We were pretty good, yeah. We were pretty good. I mean, I think that actually my mum told me when we were older that the reason she wanted us to do it is because me and my brother were like quite nerdy. Right. So she wanted us to like be really good at stuff so that we could kind of not get picked on. <laughs> or ice skating. Got that uh, so, kudos. No one's going to pick on an ice skate. Well, yeah, but I don't know, like Doncaster's like, there's quite a lot of like chabs there. Don't yeah, you know yeah. What um, and there was definitely like, a lot of like roughens and like okay. roughens there. So it was um, a good crowd to kind of uh, blood you to open your eyes up to what society was really like. Yeah, it was like pretty rough. Okay. Um, so it was quite good that she wanted us to do that because then we, you know, we didn't get blood in the ice rink because we were nice. pretty good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Roundhouse kicked to the face in a pair of. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, news story about the dude that killed the other guy and I was yeah. like, oh, fuck. I don't, it wasn't intentional, was it? No, it wasn't. So I think it's a manslaughter yeah. charge, but So Christ. I remember one seeing, and this don't, is... Don't, don't. Snap fingers, <laughs> is it? Oh, go on. <laughs> this guy, oh God, it's really sad. He just like fell yeah. like that. And then oh. straight there, and like me and my friend were like right in front of it and we were just like, oh. Sick and, and like, blood all over the I ends. don't know, it's weird. Like I watched, used to watch gory movies and horror movies and stuff. But when you see something like that in real yeah. life, oh. you really just like, oh my God. And obviously like the blood went everywhere. And then we all got kicked out. Gross. Just, like, yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I remember a similar incident at Blackburn Ice Rink when I went. I only went once and it happened. Like, so I don't know if it was a very. A, oh, God. I was unlucky or whether it was a, a regular occurrence, <laughs> but it's just the thought of it. And I mean, it's horrible, the actuality, but the thought of it is just. There was, there was definitely a lot of accidents okay. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. People just like not knowing what they're doing, like bumping into people, especially if you're somebody who's like quite quick and then a kid just comes out of nowhere, like, oh my God. And then you're just like, get away. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll give it another go and I'm a bit more older and sensible. I don't know if I would want to try yeah. it now. <laughs> like, I know too much. <laughs> so a brief overview of Doncaster there. So we're talking rural background, a little bit more into the kind of urban suburban areas as you got a little bit older. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experiences of fashion there? Like what kind of stuff were you seeing people wearing? You already said about the kind of like towny chavy influence mm. in the town. In the countryside, what were people rocking? Yeah, I mean... It's very rural where I grew up, so kind of just like, you know, Berghaus jackets, Columbia jackets. We did a lot of hiking when yeah. we were kids. My mum is really big into hiking. So when we were kids, I think I was like 11 to 13, she was training to do Machu Picchu. Mad. Um, so we would go to like Edale hiking okay. every, like pretty much every other weekend, um, like with my brother and the dog and my dad. Yeah, so just, just loads of outdoor gear, really. I mean, we got like tons of outdoor gear at our house just at any point so if yeah. anyone comes any of my friends come from london which used to happen quite a bit and they haven't got anything yeah. and my mum's like we're going on a dog walk and well, no one's got a, yeah like... just like jackets for days <clears throat> and stuff like that like walking boots whatever so that stayed with you evidently yeah i mean i didn't necessarily i definitely had like a break from the outdoors when i was at uni yeah um i think it was like my first experience into like boozing and stuff like that so yeah. i was just kind of preoccupied with that yeah. a bit but yeah, it's like very much been a part of who I am. Yeah. What can you remember your mum and dad rocking like when you were 
little in terms of outdoory clothes. My my dad had this like amazing Columbia jacket, and I remember actually when my mum was doing the training for the Machu Picchu climb, she bought a pair of Oakleys, and we were like, I don't know, like yeah, I think I was like eleven or twelve, and I was like, these are the coolest things ever, so this and is I like would always like try and steal them. Late nineties, early two thousands Oakleys. Yeah, two thousands. Yeah. Uh, early 2000s so, so we're yeah. talking very oval yeah oval yeah metallic like metallic and like really shiny lens polarized lens nice yeah they were they were heavy i think the matrix film was mm. probably out, out around the same time yeah. and that kind of cut of sunglasses was yeah. uh very cool but seeing your mum in it must have been yeah yeah i was like you're not cool enough to be wearing <laughs> these are for me <laughs> they fit you um, oh, i don't think so i can't really remember to be honest but um yeah um, and then on the contrast to that, I actually had like quite a lot of influence from my dad because he's mm. a carpenter. Yeah. So like he's always been wearing like Dickies and like Carhartt and stuff that he just gets her like cost price from like a like Travis Perkins or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. <laughs> um, and so like that's kind of like where a lot of my like love for streetwear kind of originated. Okay. Um, my grandma lived in America um, for quite a bit of my childhood, and she would like bring us back like you know, like Levi's and like DC's and like stuff like that. So there was kind of like quite a mix of all this, these different things like ruminating. And I, yeah, wore some weird outfits. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> internet was early doors. I guess you're not, you can't really go on the mood boards. and It wasn't really like what we were doing then. We were on MSN. Yeah. Like we were, yeah. I was really into music. Yeah. Um, and that kind of like informed a lot of my weird like outfit choices what were you listening to i was kind of like quite emo for a bit yeah uh, my brother is like a couple of years like nearly three years older than me he was listening to like corn and like slipknot and stuff yeah. and i started getting into that a bit but mm. i was more like a bit more kind of like punk like and um yeah like emo and then when i was like 14 i started getting into hip-hop like yep. quite heavily same um and that's when i really started to wear some weird shit yeah i would wear like my dad's carpenter jeans <laughs> that when you wanted baggy jeans in england at that age can't you can get them no nah, no they, they were thin on the ground so yeah. big jeans with belts like mm -hmm. tony k in your stomach were yeah. pretty much the only option i had i had some boxer boots as well that my grandma bought me back um from america so i was doing like missy elliott vibes nice <laughs> Heavily on like widely laced. Yeah, exactly. Nice yeah. piling on the bottom. I had some like jerseys and yeah, it was it was pretty bonkers. Missy's a fucking icon. Oh, she's amazing. Like watching some of her videos back recently, actually. I can't remember what I was watching them for, but she's just amazing. Oh, it was the Women of Hip Hop okay. documentary, which yeah, is so not good. Watched it. It's really good. I think it's like five episodes. Yeah. It's amazing. How big did you take your earring game? Uh, well, actually, I wasn't allowed my ears pierced till I was 16. <laughs> my mum was, like, quite strict about yeah, yeah. some weird stuff. So, like, that is weird because she was, like, quite strict about things like that. So it kind of turned me into a bit of a tomboy. Yeah. Like, wasn't allowed to wear makeup. Like, she didn't really want me to, like, be really girly and, like, get yeah. lots of attention. Yeah. Yeah. So I just kind of turned into this, like, tomboy. Then 16, 16 hit and you got the piercings in there. Got the straight away. <laughs> straight away got them pierced. And then, like, now I never, ever swap my earrings out. I just wear the same thing yeah. all the time. They are the classic ones. Yeah. But Missy's earrings were always a thing of beauty. Like bigger the hoop, bigger the hoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a song title? Should no, be. but I think that's just what people say. 
Her headwear was something else as well. I oh, remember yeah. a lot of uh, visor caps, I think, mm -hmm. in that era. Did you ever I venture? Think, I think I did maybe at one point have a visor. Yeah. I'm glad that there's not a lot of photos Same. circulating of this stuff because I did make yeah. some mistakes. But. Kids are today, like, everything's documented in it. Mm. And I'm, when I think back to my hip-hop foray, like, into American streetwear at that age, I'm just... Very, very glad that yeah. there's nothing to show of it. Or maybe not. I would like to see it, but then I'd like no one else to see it. I do have some photos, which maybe I'll have to dig out. But yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. Okay. My mum let me dress myself from being as old as I could put my own clothes on. Yeah. She was like, it's your job now. And it meant that I did wear some outrageous stuff. But mm. she was just, I don't know, cool with it. <laughs> you mentioned your grandma there uh, being yeah. over in America. Mm -hmm. And I know you lived in LA for a little Bit, yeah. Right. Was that, were you going over to see your grandma? Did you stay with her over these kind of two separate bits? Yeah, they were like a bit separate. So my grandma's sister um, has a, a ranch in Texas, a, a polo ranch. Wow. And so my grandma, oh no, actually my grandma went over to Dallas, which is I guess near there, yeah. um, to look after her grandchild who was being born around that time, um, which was my grandma's daughter. So there's a bit of a connection to America with our yeah, family. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, I'd been to LA loads and I just was like, I want to move to LA. Like, it's just something that I felt like I wanted to do. What age is this? This was like 2019. Yeah. Uh, 2018, I think, something like that. And I moved back just before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so because of the pandemic, that's why I moved back. Yeah. We all got kicked out. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was really excited about moving, but... Understandably. I mean, it sounds like the most exciting thing in the world. But I didn't love it. Okay. <laughs> I really loved, like, the access to nature, and I did so much traveling when I was there. Like, it was unreal. I did, like, um, Big Sur, which is probably one of my favorite trips, um, San Diego, Texas, Vegas, Joshua Tree, San Francisco, um, New York, uh, Washington. Like, I really, like, made the most of being in America. Sounds like it. Um, but... I don't know, LA just like wasn't for me in the end. Mm. But I mean, I'm really glad that I got to experience that. And I think I like I did really, there were certain aspects of it that I really loved. Like the streetwear in LA is really cool. And there's some amazing food there as well, which is like something that I'm quite into. LA streetwear, um, it's like Stussy. Uh, yeah, I'm a big hundreds. fan of Stussy, I yeah. always have been. Sorry, I always um, pronounced that wrong. Yeah, I was like, come on. <laughs> I did the bad vandalist pronunciation. Maybe I should adopt a California accent for that. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure they I say feel Stussy like you've got to say Stussy right. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm sure those two little dots make you pronounce a U in a specific way. Maybe. I've done, I've definitely, like, Googled how to pronounce right. it before. You know that, like, when yeah. they on YouTube and they have, yeah. like, pronunciations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Rose Bowl. In fact, a lot of the clothes that I have now, which is like some of my favourite bits I got from Rose Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So that's just iconic. Amazing. Like, I think people of the born in the 80s uh, consumed a very American media mm. diet at an early age. Do you think that was what made you, that pulled you towards California? Yeah, I think like the big, like, hip-hop influences as well, like throughout my yeah. life would, I was just like, I'm going to love it. Yeah. I'll move there. It's going to be great. But actually... You think that it's going to be the same because, like, Americans speak the same language with yeah. both English, but we're not the same. And yeah. there's, like, so many things. It's, like, quite hard to, like, infiltrate yourself into that environment. Like, totally different sense of humour. Just, like, so many things that I, quite, I felt quite difficult. Mm. Um, I think I would have stayed, but... And, like, stuck it out. Because I did have some amazing friends there who I'm still friends with now. Yeah. But I had to come back COVID because of COVID, dictates. yeah. 
So all the time you're over there, you're kind of absorbing street influences, different kind of brands that maybe you couldn't get as readily in the UK at the time. I know Stussy's been around for a long time, but yeah, some of the other ones you might not have seen. Were you working in the clothing industry at that time? Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, I was um, helping build a sustainable streetwear brand, which unfortunately never got off the ground. Yeah. Um, but it was backed by a big um, corporation and, yeah, we are just like starting from the ground, really. And it was completely new for me because I don't have any connections in America. Um, so I had to, like, source factories, source, like, um, fabric mills, just, like, everything from the ground up. We had to, like, hire a team, um, so it was a wicked experience and yeah. it is a shame that it never like came about because we've worked really hard on it but that's what happens like everything did that in covid really yeah i mean i know the last few years have seen uh, a rise in people doing like ethically sourced clothing and obviously it's high on everyone's agendas at the time when you were putting that together was it was it uh, more of a novel thing people paying such attention to that side of the business hmm that's a good question. I think that people in the industry, I think, care about it yeah. a lot more than the consumer does. I think obviously there's like the people who are very interested in sustainability, um, the consumers, but generally on a whole, like don't really know that the consumer really cares that much. They don't want to pay more for that like sustainable fabric. And that's, it's difficult. It's difficult to do. I think the place that I was in as a designer at that point, I'd just been working with Catherine Hamnett, who like pioneered sustainability in the yeah. UK. And that was that was awesome. So I was like very into it. I was really into the politics behind it. I was very immersed in that world. So I think now not as much because having your own brand, like when you're working with such small numbers is really difficult, yeah. especially when you don't have big financial backing. Um, even though I would really like to be able to do that. And at some point that is the plan. But, um, yeah. It's nuts that because when blame is laid somewhere by documentaries and media and stuff like that, it's always firmly at the feet of the brands themselves and very yeah. rarely at the consumers. And, you know, it is difficult to blame consumers in a time of economic hardship, isn't mm -hmm. it? But it does, does need looking at, like, yeah. um, how we can change retail kind of uh, preferences, I guess. But yeah. yeah, it's interesting to hear from someone on the other side of the equation that that's what their experience of it is. Yeah, I think there's definitely people out there who look to be sustainable, but it's kind of like there's people who are really like vehemently will only buy sustainable product and only buy things off Depop and eBay. Mm. And then the other part of the public who do care about it, but maybe they would rather pay less. Yeah, And then they kind of regularly make that choice because they want to buy more stuff or they yeah. want to have more money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. We've kind of talked a bit about the geography here, but I feel like we've missed out a big part of the working in clothing bit that's gone to you having a job in an amazing sounding proto streetwear, proto <laughs> eco streetwear brand. Um, did, no, you study, I mean, did you study clothing at university? Yeah, so I studied um, at De Montfort and right. I was always really interested in like the function and like the technical stuff. Yeah, is that, is that in London? It's in Leicester. Okay. So I kind of chose that uni because they're so into like the technical side of stuff. Right. And they're really like want you to be able to like make a garment and like construct something from scratch. And that was like a big influence from my grandma. Mm. So she 
was the sample hand at the M&S factory in wow. Manchester or I think Sheffield. Um, so she taught me to sew on a machine when I was like way too young to be using a machine. I think I was probably like six or something, which is like not okay. That was very industrial revolution in this. It was very like sweatshop vibes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at uni, I really started getting into like tech wear and I was really yeah. into like Massimo Asti and like Aitor Throop. Um, so then I actually went and worked for Aitor Throop. It was very small, very short-lived because I got a job at Fred Perry. Okay. So my final collection was kind of like tech wear, but also mod. Mad. It was like I'd love to see that. It was it was a bit mad. Yeah. So then worked at Fred Perry for a while, and that was amazing. I loved it. It's wow. such a great place to work, as, especially as like a proper first job. Um, the team were wicked. I'm still really good mates with my senior designer there, who was my boss. Like we're still like almost best mates today. Nice. Um, and then I went to Aquascutum after that. Then, everywhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm old now. I've been in the industry for like 30 years. You know, well, years. Not, not old enough to have done all these things that you're telling me. Yeah. I mean, I've, I just worked really hard. I just loved it. I mm. just like grafted and like, I don't know, just, I just was like, okay, there's a job there. I'm going to go there now and like get yeah. all this experience and stuff. And so then I went to River Island, um, which I stayed there for like five years because it was like massive company. It was amazing. I like improved and like, got up the corporate ladder so quickly there because yeah. it just, you can. You can. Um, and it's always something that I say to people that I mentor, they like shy away from going to a big company, big corporate company, but it's just a really great idea. You get so much training. Like you don't really get that at these small brands, yeah. but you have the ability to do that there. And all and these roles were in creative design side of things. Always designer. Right okay. Always menswear design actually. Yeah. Um, and then I went to Menace I don't, you probably don't heard of that. It kind of flopped, to be honest. Um, so I was head of design at Menace, and that was under the umbrella of Misguided. Yeah. So it was going to be like the menswear version of Misguided, yeah. and I was pretty excited for it. We had some like big plans, but it just was like startup business under this huge umbrella of this big conglomerate, and it just wasn't working. Like I can't exactly put my finger on like what wasn't working, but it just ended up flopping. So. I was getting all these like amazing opportunities to work freelance. So I just sacked it off <laughs> and then went freelance. How was freelance life for you? Yeah, it was really exciting. Like I love having like loads of different projects on. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I love so much about having my own brand is mm. that there's just so much to do and like so <laughs> many different jobs. And you're like, you know, you can do every single job in the business. Yeah. Um, and then also like I do a lot of freelance stuff on the side of that now. Yeah. Um, and I just like having the variety. So working freelance was wicked. I was doing like so much, so many different things. Um, and then got the opportunity to go to LA and was doing kind of like bits of bobs and freelance stuff while I was there. Um, and then came back to the UK, kind of had a few months off in lockdown like everyone did. And I, it's good, wasn't it? It was, do you know what? I feel so bad saying that because some people had a really shit pandemic. time, but <laughs> I moved back to Yorkshire to live with my parents because yes. I was like, I don't want to live in my tiny flat in London yeah. with my lovely but like neurotic housemate <laughs> so I was like made the call moved back up north and spent like three months just with my mum and dad and I had the best time I went on like a massive bike ride every day me and my mum went on a walk every day I did like an exercise video call with some of my mates and just like smashed it it was nice. great smashed it. yeah the glory days oh, bring it yeah. back can't wait for <laughs> us to get a new disease yeah. um <laughs> Thank you.
So I know that you worked with a lot of big brands you've run us through there, but you had a brand yourself, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I did. It was um, called Gulps, which is actually my initials with an extra U. Okay. It was like bootleg um, logos with like swear words and Sounds like very other stuff. Um, yeah, I actually asked my um, iconic grandma to model <laughs> quite a few times for grandma me. Grandma of sewing teaching fame, right? Yeah. Uh, Granny Smith. So this is her. Let's have a look. She, I mean, she hates <laughs> this photo, but... <laughs> we'll flash this up Being on the screen for the people icon that she is. Does she flip the bird a lot? <laughs> um, she is pretty sassy. All right. And the rings, are they model zone? They are model zone, yeah. They weren't okay. all on that hand. They were like right. spread out, but she, yeah. she loves a bit of bling. So Fully iconic. She's very, she's, up until quite recently, she's got to have a hip replaced now, but she was wearing high heels, drinking, smoking, just like straight Badass. west coasting, all that vibes. <laughs> um, so these are some of the other um, pieces that are designed. Killer. Okay, so we've got a, a Tesco LGBTQ extra uh, it's very very <laughs> extra that is, as well um, I didn't pick Sam that. Smith wearing that uh, yeah yeah nice I really like hit up the influencer market with this brand and they were I mean they were like into it as well I presume they're not going to wear yeah, something I mean, that they, they, they loved it um it was like a, a period of time where humorous hoodies were like really in like that, all that kind of stuff yeah it's very so, fun to wear isn't it I mean yeah that, got a lot they always got a lot of attention but they're done tastefully it's not just straight mm. up printed you know you've got that, that tesco They're logo embroidered. looked embroidered yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. dead nice um, and who, yeah. who else did you take off or can you could you still be sued no i can't be sued anymore right. i think i got rid of the instagram because i kept getting messages from champion yeah <laughs> uh, but i actually printed the cease and desist from champion on a t-shirt and sold oh it. <laughs> punk as fuck come on um but yeah so i did nike and it was like a lit so it was like nike okay. little tick and then it's a lit and then there was like Prada, the like Luna Rossa thing that said like pussy on it. And then I did like Thrasher, which said slasher. So it was like model slash actor slash okay. DJ slash influencer. And when, when was this in your career? Was this like before you got onto these big jobs? Was this running at the side of the um, jobs with the existing brands? So I started it when I was at River and then it was kind of one of the things that made me go freelance because actually it, it was, it took off. Like I had my housemate and like my boyfriend at the time and another one of my friends like packing orders in my house because okay. it was, it was like popping off. Wow. Um, so that, that, was, that was what gave you the, I can do this outside mm, of this. Yeah. I like always used to walk around with a bag full of hoodies and I would just like find cool people on the street and be like, can I take a picture? Here's a hoodie. Nice. And then it just like, I still see people walking around London with them today as well, which Plus, is pretty mad. Do you ever say? Nah. Nah, not cool, nah, that is it. No. So you, that's it, it's like guerrilla marketing. Was, yeah, it was did, exactly that, yeah. Had you seen other people doing that or was that something that just kind of seemed like, I mean, it's quite a punky thing to do to take mm. these existing logos. So I guess the marketing campaign should be similarly, yeah, not giving a, a fuck bit. kind of thing. I think um, it was kind of at the same, like, the same time just maybe just before that like lots of people started doing it so I think like obviously sports banger like blew up and mm. was like way more successful than mine ever was but it was kind of like just as that happened and I didn't actually know that sports banger was doing it at the same time but yeah. I like, found out about it later but um yeah so I think it was like 2016 yeah. 2015 that kind of time what was it that kind of sent it stratospheric which is the most successful marketing Sam Smith. Okay. I sold like 
Yeah, my website crashed. My Instagram, oh my God, it was like blowing up. I was he, he kind just of like, posted a picture of the Tesco ripper. So he put it on his story and he tagged the brand. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my phone just like crashed. It all just blew up, I think. I sold like 500 on the first day and I can't remember how many others I sold, but I had to basically say to everyone like, that's it, I'm out of stock. I need yeah. to yeah. put a new order in. And it used to take like two weeks for the delivery to come. So I can only imagine the feeling of creating something and that viral moment happening and it feeling like yeah. amazing overwhelming kind of like almost it becomes from something that you've got real control over becoming something like vast was it a real like mixed emotional thing for you or was it just buzz i don't know it was it was a bit weird because i was like fuck how am i going to do that yeah. like how am yeah. i going to do all of those orders yeah. like and i didn't have any infrastructure so like i didn't have I just had like a Wix website and then yeah. like an Instagram account. And it was just, yeah, like people were like DMing me, like, how do I buy this? How do I buy this? So like my housemate was like organizing all of the DMs and like I was like organizing all of the Wix orders and like had to buy like a label printer. And it just was like, it was a bit overwhelming, but also cool. But I was really like, fuck. What's the largest number of parcels that you've ever taken to a post office and how did the local post office uh, clerk react to you because I so, feel like a tit when I take five eBay parcels in I used to buy the postage online okay so I didn't have to do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, basically you bought them online and then you like put them into a uh, like a bin basically yeah. like a, a red like um, it has like a big door this like postage bin and I filled like five so I just had to like fill that one and then I was like, okay, well, where's the next one? And like Google mapped it. Okay, there's the next one, filled that one up. And then I just ended up having to go to the post office right here. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with this, please. But yeah, like me and my old housemate were like in an Uber, just like hitting all the things. Amazing. Oh, it sounds like a dead exciting time. It's it's funny like having a brand, it's completely different to the brand that I have now. Yeah. But it is like a really big learning experience, like just winging it. You're yeah. just like, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, how do, what do we do now? Like, I remember even the first time I made, made my website, I just was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like YouTube tutorial and like, just, yeah, making it work. Amazing. <laughs> it might be a good time to talk about PMO a little mm -hmm. bit because I don't think we've touched on it too much yet. Um, you are a, a duo of creators, right? Founders. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the brand, how long it's been going, what your roles are, what kind of stuff you create. Yeah, so there's two of us. There's me and Matt, who are the co-founders. Um, we started it in 2020, basically just found ourselves like both wanting to start a business, yeah. both out of work. Yeah, it pretty much just kind of like snowballed from there. We like work with this really amazing factory in China who we've worked with before. M me and Matt know each other from working at River Island. Right. So we have been friends since then as well. So we just kind of... Um, decided to go into business together. We've got this amazing factory who's like really great with like washers and like technical stuff. Yeah. The aesthetic of the brand is like, it's really difficult to find cool, approachable price point in outdoor gear. Yeah. You have like the higher price point stuff like Nanga and like Stone Island and Arcteryx and stuff, but it's really expensive and it's not really that you can like you don't really want to wear it when yeah. you're like, hiking yeah. it's so expensive yeah and like yeah if you're going to go to canada and you need that like high equipment um like you're going to wear that like high functional gear but if you're just going to go to the lake district on a hike 
or, you know, down the pub. Like, you don't always want to be wearing these, like, super expensive jackets and stuff. So we were like, how do we create a brand with, you know, a cool aesthetic that's kind of somewhere in between, you know, the outdoor functionality and streetwear? Because obviously living in London, like, we have access to just, like, amazing streetwear all the time. And, you know, another place that we look for inspiration is, like, Seoul and Korea, and they've just been smashing out amazing stuff for years and years. So, yeah, so we just kind of wanted to merge those two worlds together and create something, you know, really interesting and exciting and that isn't going to break the bank. It's, um, it's sick stuff. I've worn some of it. Um, I know it's stocked in a lot of places now, but I will store up in Harrogate. I'm good friends with Steve. They got some stuff in and I modelled it and you put it on and it feels a million bucks. Like, oh, you wear the blue, you wore the blue jacket and the, yeah. and the green waxed one. Yeah. And yeah. I think there was some, was it white trousers, cream trousers? Yeah, the drop? hiking pants. Yeah. Yeah. Dead nice. You know, you get a lot of newer brands and you can tell that the, the, the kind of deep research into what it's been made out of and the cuts just isn't mm-hmm. quite there. And for something that is relatively young, it seems really yeah. developed, I think that would be. I think it's mainly down to our experience. Yeah. Like Matt's yeah. a little bit older than me, so he's got even more experience than I've got. And yeah. I've already got 12, 13 years experience. Yeah. So, you know, we've worked really hard on the brand to get it to where it is now. And I think just, you know, we're both coming at it from with all this experience we have an amazing sales team yeah who've really like worked hard to get it into end and you know satadium and all these amazing indie shops working class heroes owl yeah we've just been really lucky and also another duo that we work with who've been extremely pivotal in the amazing lookbooks that they do is orienteer magazine yeah yeah oh they're my just God. amazing i remember meeting rory i think i met him on instagram like years ago and then I met him at a party and I was like you're fucking weird and yeah. amazing <laughs> and I need to work with you so I was like he's so weird and amazing and I love him <laughs> and Jack's the same like the first season we worked with them was our first season um and we worked with just Rory first of all so he just shot the lookbook for us and then the next season we were like all right let's get Jack involved and Jack just is such an incredible stylist and he's like such a low-key dude and you don't even realize he's going to be so good and it just like leveled it up like we tried to style the first collection and like <laughs> didn't I mean it's all right but yeah. like it just wasn't what they do and we basically give them creative control we're just like you're really good at this you do what you want to do this is your creative project as well it must be so um, exciting to see the garments that you've created presented in that way for you like yeah, really kind of totally yeah. validate it just yeah make you appreciate it in a really yeah. kind of abstracted way where it's you know mm. yeah it just looks like the other Usually. cool shit in magazines that you've looked yeah. at throughout your life yeah 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 it's definitely like a full circle moment and especially yeah. when we did the last shoot in snowden so we got up super early because we wanted to get some like sunrise shots but it was pissing it down mm. and it was like january or f- maybe january no it wasn't it was december and we're like hiking up this mountain with all of the gear. So like we've got like weights, we've got tripods, we've got cameras, we've got all the food, we've got all the clothes. And there's not that many of us. And it was absolutely tanking it down. It was horrible. But I was actually wearing our water repelled trousers that are like padded. And then when we got up there, you know, we got soaking wet, but I was wearing these trousers and I remember saying to Matt and I was like, these work, these actually work. And he was, he was wearing the jacket that goes with it. And he was like, I know, this is sick. And I was like, we've like produced stuff that you need 
that isn't really available. Those things aren't available to buy. So I was just like, that was a full circle moment yeah. for both of us as well, because we were like, oh my God, that's, that's pretty cool. You mentioned about your grandma teaching you to sew. Mm. Sounds like a really kind of formative experience that. Mm. What was she having you make? What were you, were you repairing things? Were you altering things? So she had a soft furnishing company. So she was making like reupholstering chairs or she's making curtains or like cushion covers yeah. and bedspreads and stuff like that. So I think initially she was getting me to make cushions. So just like straight lines. Yeah. And then I quickly got really good at it. Um, and then I started making clothes for my dolls. Nice. <laughs> so I would like take the clothes off. Like she had all these like dolls at her house that were like Russian dolls, whatever they were. Yeah. And I just would take the clothes off, take them apart, and then remake nice. them in all, all of her curtain fabric. Oh my God, what an experience. <laughs> when I was quite young as well. Six, seven, eight, that's Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and she, I was probably quite annoying because she was like trying to get these blue curtains finished and I was just yeah. like, I want to use a sewing machine. But, um, but yeah, no, that's basically where it all first started. And then mm -hmm. I was kind of making my own clothes, maybe from like 12 I used to like go to vintage shops and like charity shops and just like buy jackets was my thing. Um, and then I'd just make them in new fabrics. Insane. Yeah. That's so cool. That like cool. barely would have been a time where you didn't feel the power over the, I think I might have alluded to this before, my brother did a welding course and said that once he'd done it, he looked at the world in a different way. Like when he saw <laughs> metal, he was thinking oh, what, right. what raw material. Like I guess oh, when you're seeing fabric with mm. those powers that you've got, <laughs> you see them in a different way to other people. You're thinking, I can, yeah. I can tweak that, I can change that, I can make that, I can... Yeah, yeah that is nice. how my brain works. And sometimes when I see jackets, it's mainly jackets that I do this with, but sometimes trousers, I'll be like, oh, if they'd only done this, it would be yeah. so better or like something well, I like could that. do this. You know, you, yeah. can, you can tweak them. That must yeah. be amazing. I need to go on a course. Um, <laughs> Get my grandma to help you. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, sounds like a really like positive relationship with her. Mm. Um, we actually have the same birthday. So we're like very, very close. Yeah. All right. Uh, but it must have been cool to see your grandma creating stuff at an early age. Mm. Was that a big, like seeing such a strong female character creating stuff out of fabric, was that a big yeah. influence on you? And what kind of um, toughness and resilience has that given you in your current jobs in a kind of the male dominated mm. industry that we live in? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, she was like, I guess like an entrepreneur by herself. She had, she founded this whole company yeah. after like quite a messy divorce. She was like, what am I going to do now? And she, I think she like gave all of the money to her kids from the divorce. She didn't want to take any of it. And so she just was like started again and just built this business. Wow. And actually my mum ended up going to work for her for a bit. And one of, I think my grandma's daughters went and worked with her for a bit. And then obviously she employed me. <laughs> well, if you got the skills. Yeah. <laughs> and also my mum as well has been like a big pivotal, uh, like, you know, person in seeing female empowerment. Um, they're both like, you know, outspoken female figures. So yeah. it has been, I think most of the women in my family are. Yeah. I mean, to go and decide to hike Machu Picchu when you've got mm. kids and stuff, it's yeah. not a, a run of the mill thing for a, yeah. a mum to be doing. She so. did it for charity as well. So. Wow. Yeah. More on the kind of male dominatedness of the industry. What's your experiences of being a woman in that, that space? Obviously, I understand my privilege coming from like a very supportive family and, and you know, ethnically, yeah. um, like a white background. I think that just being a strong 
female is difficult because, you know, a lot of the times in businesses I've been emotional sometimes and that's seen as weakness, whereas actually it's not. And I think like being a female leader, one of my biggest strengths is that I'm, uh, you know, empathetic and I'm happy to be vulnerable with my you know, employees and, and other people that I mentor and other people that I work with. And I think that using that as a strength, I, if only it was like easy for men to use it as a strength as well. Mm. Just to give an example, when we go to Paris in Fashion Week, so it's Men's Fashion Week, I'm probably one of the only female co-founders, one of the only like females in this space as a, as a brand owner. And I'm also sober, so that adds like another level of complexity onto this. But so in Paris, we're going out, we have to go for dinners, we have to, you know, schmooze with everybody. And that everybody is a man that I'm talking to. So it's, it can be, even though I love everyone that I work with, I love a lot of the people in the, in the industry. It's a very different energy to me being a minority. And I think that that's something that maybe a lot of people don't understand mm. and, and don't really think about. So actually one of my sales guys on like the second to last day, he was like, how's this week been for you? Because like you're the only girl. And I was like, wow, I'm amazed that you actually recognized that. Because like, and then ev everyone else was like, oh yeah, how's it been? How is it? And I was like, it's actually really hard. Like yeah, you lot are all just like chatting <laughs> shit all the yeah. time. And like you're getting drunk and you're talking over each other. And it's like, it's fun, don't get me wrong, but like night after night after night, day after day after day, it's like, yeah. you know, women are just different with each other. Yeah. And having women in the workplace, it is very different. And having a female leader is very different environment. And there's other levels of this that you kind of have to think about. Like with my team, like especially with like some of my other roles where I've been like head of design, some of the males who I work with, how do they respond to having a female leader and sometimes they don't like being told what to do by a woman mm. and that's very difficult and um, how do we get over that it's, it's a tricky thing yeah. that isn't the job of you to do it's a societal mm. thing in it yeah I mean it's all about learning and being respectful and yeah. and you know, I don't think as women we should have to learn to be more intimidating. Yeah. Or like be close to the traditional masculine norms. Yeah, of I don't think that that should be the way. I think that we should be recognised for our own strengths. Yeah, I think it's probably a good time to touch on the outdoor space as a whole and it's kind of the masculine dominance mm -hmm. of it. How girls and women shouldn't be forced to be something that they're not to fit into it. And I think the GOP girls movement go up girls collective that you're a part mm. of is a space that's kind of actively carving out room for people to exist like that could you tell us a little bit more about that collective mm. and how you fit into it yeah i think there's quite a few um female collectives about um there's gorp girls there's athene club yeah and they're all you know amazing spaces and it's it's amazing to be a part of all of them, because ultimately without men really knowing that they're doing this and, you know, a lot of it is systematic the way that we've grown up. Like I identified as a tomboy for like many years yeah. until I realized why I was doing that. Right. Now kind of like embracing that I am a woman and I'm feminine and I 
but I'm also strong and I also love the outdoors and I also love sport. Yeah. Um, it's great to be able to provide these safe spaces for women to kind of explore and, and learn new skills and maybe not be as fast as the boys or like be faster than the boys yeah. for like it. It's not about them. It's about us. You know, sometimes when we're doing these hikes, like the conversations that we're having with each other is just like, you would never have a conversation like that if you were hiking with a group of dudes because yeah. they just won't do that. Yeah. It won't get that vulnerable. And it's it's amazing. Like sometimes we've come to the end of the hike and we've like solved one of these girls' problems for like that she's been having with her boyfriend or something. Yeah. And it's just, it's amazing to be a part of it. Yeah, I think particularly with the bouldering workshop that I've founded with Hannah, um, you know, that has been a bit of a difficult journey for me as like a female climber. I started climbing, I didn't really know anyone. And I literally used to just go around all the climbing walls and like make friends with girls who were really strong and be like, should we climb together? Mm. Until I ended up having a WhatsApp group and there was about 50 girls in there. And we would just message the group being like, hey, I'm gonna climb at mile end tonight, who wants to come? Or like, hey, I'm gonna go to yonder tonight, who's coming? And then I just was like, well, maybe we should actually do this properly. Yeah. Um, so I pitched the idea to Hannah and it was super successful. And yeah, just, smashed it. Yeah, it's been so great. And I, then I realized that actually I love teaching. And so I trained as a bouldering coach. I'm still kind of like in the process of like training for the next steps and stuff. But it's been something that I didn't even really know that I really loved or that I was actually good at. Yeah. Climbing specifically, I used to go all the time and I kind of swapped it out for the gym, just the normal lifting weights gym. Mm. And literally no one ever speaks to anyone at the gym. It's weird if you do, like people don't want to know it's headphones on. I mean, sometimes on. you get hit on, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> well, yeah, that's another female experience that is, doesn't really bother blokes. Um, at least no one's ever hit on me at the gym, unfortunately. No, you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Get those leggings on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but climbing, there's something that's like almost built into it that's communal. I mean, it's probably quite a different experience for a woman at a climbing wall with uh, blokes telling you how to do it. Do you know um, what? It's my biggest bugbear. It pisses yeah. me off so much. Yeah. Like, you need to do this the for your point thought. of the climb is to yeah. figure out the beta. Don't so if somebody is like spraying it or like mansplaining it to me and I'm just like, bro, do you want to like piss off? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. And a lot of, I mean, a lot of people don't know they're doing it, do they? Mm. But they need to fucking learn. So It's more like they want you to know that they can do it. Yeah. It's about them. It's not about your, you're not helping me. You yeah. want me to know that you've done it yeah. and that you're stronger than me. <laughs> and I don't care about that, to be honest. Yeah. Like, is, And it? also the other thing that really annoys me is like, I have worked super hard to have like good climbing technique. Mm. And I would rather climb a V4 and look amazing climbing it than struggle up a V4. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like working on a climb or something and somebody will come and flash it. And then I see them kind of look at me a little bit and I'm like, you might have climbed it, but you look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's still a long way to go. There's a lot of these groups and stuff and cli uh, climbing puts itself down to really like welcoming an open community. And, but there's still a lot of the kind of interplay the experience in the outside world there. I think like with that, do you know, I don't know how you feel about tops off climbing. Like, if I was a woman and I'd gone to a climbing gym for the first time and all the dudes were there with the tops off straight away, mm. 
Mm. I'd feel, I don't know, how, how does that make you feel in that space? I think it's a bit different for me than it is for other people because I'm tall. Right. And also I have worked really hard to be really strong. Yeah. So I don't know that, it really depends what they're doing. Yeah. If they're really like kind of like strutting around, then it's a bit different. But if they're yeah. just hot because they've been like climbing yeah. a lot, it's, you know, I take my shirt off and I've got a sports bra on. Yeah. You know, I don't really know. It's it's quite nuanced, I yeah. think. Yeah, it's not a total jock move kind of like, cause it's, you know. You sometimes do get, it is. You, you do get hot and, you know, in summer then, yeah. But sometimes mm. in winter, I'm like, you don't need to come mm. put a vest on. It's like... Well, maybe that's the answer. Just put a vest on. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird quirk of the climbing. Mm, like, sometimes it is. I think definitely people just peacocking. Yeah. But sometimes it is like you're obviously hot. You've yeah. been working hard. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's a tricky one. I think when I first started climbing, I was very intimidated, which is why I started this women's bouldering group because I just was like. I don't want to go to all these walls on my own. Yeah. Not only because you do get hit on, yeah. because it's like talking about a climb with a dude is like their perfect intro. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it couldn't be more perfect. It's like the easiest place to like, you don't need hinge if yeah. you've got a climbing gym. But um, I often will go in there as well when I'm doing four by fours and I've got my headphones on and someone's still trying to attach me and I'm just like, bro, no, I don't yeah. want to talk to you. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah, God, it's kind of weird, sorry. Aren't they? Aren't they? I know, we are, sorry. <laughs> but it is really cool, like, coming in with, like, a big group of girls and, like, yeah, you taking can see the, the dudes being like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, Okay, there's power in that. And it is yeah, numbers, I isn't like it? it? It is numbers. Big up the girls for making the space. I mean, there's so many amazing groups that have been founded in lockdown. It's actually so cool to see that, like, hiking's cool now. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it never, never was when I was little. It was not cool <laughs> when I was younger. Like, I did not want to wear that Columbia jacket that was, yeah. like, too big for me. Like, I my, I was, like, kicking and screaming, but got into it in the end. But, yeah, it Coolness is cool. It goes a long way, doesn't it? Coolness. Yeah. Like, if you want to make something happen, you've got to make it cool. It is great that, like, essentially fitness is cool now. Yeah. That is it's great, really isn't it? I was yeah. talking to Kazna Asker yesterday, who's this young Yemeni designer, uh, she was one of the guests and she was like, you just got to make politics cool because it's not cool. Like, you've, yeah. How are kids going to relate to those fucking dweebs? Like, Don't know. Um, yeah, got to make it cool. Make them dress better. <laughs> yeah. That's not me. So yeah, I'm going to switch this section up a little bit here. I usually ask people about a period of fashion faux pas. We've already kind of touched the Let Me See Elliot moment, haven't we? Um, that was not a faux pas, thank you very much. <laughs> No, it definitely was. Uh, it turns out that nearly everyone's been always dressed cool. So what I want—that was definitely—that's not me. <laughs> yeah, that's not you. Everyone else, have, yeah, they've just like flexed on me. Like, oh I'm my like, god, I have cool. made like, so many, many mistakes. Oh, but I feel on, like go on then. Let's see, let's hear them. What, what are they? Give us I feel a, like that's the whole point of being a designer. You're not trying hard enough if you're not making the mistakes. I mean, I'm here for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. Like music has been like very linked to my progression in all these different areas. So I think when I was younger, I was quite into emo when I was quite young. I don't know if How this was like deep. Did the part the side part in sweep oh go? God. It was pretty deep. Yeah, it was deep. Yeah. Um, there was almost a little bit of like Japanese vibes about it. You know, the little bows and the kind okay. of like stuff like that. Also, so Luke, former guest Luke, big up Oi Lukey, told me about the term weeb for the first time yeah. is that something yeah, you're yeah. aware of yeah and that is someone that appropriates Japanese culture a white person that 
appropriate Japanese mm. culture. Right? I mean, I definitely wasn't appropriating Japanese culture, but no, there was sorry, definitely sorry, like, like a yeah, little yeah. bit of that in there. Actually, Luke has shown me photos of him when he was that proper indie kid with long hair. I don't know yeah, if he showed yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, I've seen them. <laughs> I love you, Luke, but <laughs> so, look. But um, he always pushed, you know explored the boundaries yeah, yeah. didn't it I think I think that's the whole point of being young like you can get away with it like yeah. do it um, I definitely got a bit of a name for being like weird mm. and like wearing weird shit but I just was like I don't know I remember like because obviously like we lived in the middle of nowhere and one of the places to buy clothes was TK Maxx yes. but they had like all the sick American shit in there like exactly. me and my brother were like buying like globe trainers like DCs like all those amazing like skater things so yeah. then my kind of like look went from pre-emo to like a bit more skater when I started skating and being able to get all that shit in TK Maxx was like it was great at discount prices at as well at discount prices exactly it's such a massive thing in yeah. my fashion uh, growth because so I was getting a lot of the American streetwear brands, like mm. I got a silk Fubu shirt with oh, red, yeah. grey, and black handprints on it. Fubu stuff, I used yeah, to love that. Lots. The jeans, yeah. yeah, amazing, amazing gear. They had mm. they had Sean John in. They had academics tracksuits in there. Yeah, rockerwear. Like I would not have known anywhere else to go and shop mm. to get that kind of shit that was seen. Definitely not in hip hop magazines and on rap videos mm. and. Yeah, it's not, I, don't, I don't even know where they got they got it from. I don't like, know, but they were doing something right. Yeah. I mean, my grandma used to bring us shitloads of stuff back from America. But yeah, that was basically the only other place. Shout out TK Maxx. Great hot sauce selection as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, I've not been there for the hot sauce collection, but maybe I'll go. Give me, I got a tip off on that and oh. I won't go anywhere else for my hot nice. sauces these days. Nice. But yeah, so kind of like we I remember when in like the deep emo days we used to wear these like massive baggy trousers kind of like not dissimilar to what I'm wearing now but they had like straps coming off them yeah or they had like straps like over here it was kind of like like all these like crosses and stuff everywhere just like got caught on all the door handles punky, stupid bit, bondage, bit punky yeah bondage pant bit bondage yeah yeah, yeah. Then I went through the kind of like heavy hip hop phase, which at the time I thought was really cool, but I'm pretty sure my parents were just like, what the fuck are you yeah, doing? My dad yeah. was like, give me those trousers back. <laughs> <laughs> pretty um, mad that he was actually wearing Dickies because Dickies was one of the brands that I thought yeah. was an exotic skater brand, but it's mm. actually reappropriated yeah. from workwear into that. Yeah. And your dad was wearing it in the originally intended way. Yeah, yeah, like from... I think he started becoming a carpenter when I was like 10. Yeah. So yeah, from Day Dot, who's been wearing it. And I remember like years ago when like Yeezy got all of his, like the paint on the workwear and stuff like that. I remember my dad, I showed like my dad this collection and he was like, I'm an icon. <laughs> <laughs> and he's there and all of his dickies like cut to shit and like all of like the paint everywhere. And I was like, you are. <laughs> and that is that's a massive thing these days isn't it I mean I don't do the work wear thing too much I've not got any Carhartt in my collection but people that wear it want it well worn mm, don't I've they I've got quite a bit of uh, like work wear I do like it is yours well worn or? some of it is I've, some of it I've had for years so mm. it is well worn but like I'm in the process of wearing some new bits in but yeah you don't want it to be stiff you want it to be like yeah a bit yeah locked. worn in but you don't yeah. want to wear it too you don't want to I had a period of um, purposefully aging stuff, you know, distressing mm. jeans. Um, Get the little grinder out. Yeah, uh, loads of techniques, sandpaper and shit yeah. like that. I've, I've mates that were miles better at it than me. I feel like I just went too fast and it looked too preconceived, mm. like too conceited. Like, I feel like the whole point is that you're actually wearing it and fucking yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah, 
it is it's it's cool like i'm sure your dad looked tasting it because it is cool to see the story of someone's trade like baked yeah. into the clothes and i'll see a, an actual painter's pair of trousers that book actually um what artists wear has got loads of pictures oh. of artists in it mm. in their workwear and spattered with the paint it's just yeah cool it's pretty mad he likes to like add extra holes for like all of his hammers and like like he'll have like five loops of stuff and he gets nice. my grandma to like um like adjust his like belts and like add extra bits on it as well and stuff so that's pretty cool yeah he's sick yeah. <laughs> tell me georgia a little bit about some of the other brands out there that you like to wear maybe geared less towards the outdoor and the technical one of the brands that i buy a lot of and especially like the new stuff I think is really good is Stussy. So obviously when I was living in LA, I got a lot of the vintage stuff, which is wicked and you kind of can't really get that here. But the new stuff that they're banging out is so fire and I'm really loving it. There's a girl that I follow who I've followed for like years and years and years is uh, Vaneda Carter. She's, so she's the stylist for them now and she's just smashing it. So she's like, yeah, loving that. That um, brand is... American streetwear, Californian mm. specifically, is it? I've yeah. never, I don't think I've ever had a single thing by them. But was it, oh, really? was it skate surf? Yeah. Like brand before it was streetwear? Yeah, definitely like skate surf yeah. first. Um, and then it's kind of become streetwear now. Like a yeah. lot of the things that they do are like pretty mad yeah. now. Like lots of like leopard print and like fire prints. And I've got this like quilted gilet that I bought last season that I've just basically not taken off. Are you very into the uh, the bold print, that, that kind of like statement mm. piece thing? Not really. Like, I, I am on the lookout for some camo trousers, but I'm not really like a bold print person. Mm. I know I am wearing like an ombre jacket, which maybe would say different, but this is literally the only thing. Tell us about this jacket. Oh, uh, this not, is PMO. Yeah. This is PMO. So yeah, very it's a nice. really, really nice, like mini ripstop, really super lightweight. Um, fabric with this like beautiful ombre print on it and it's all taped seams inside it's actually not waterproof but we just taped it because it looks nice tell how do you how do you do how do you do that then because to me I'd, print. I'd look right i'd look at it and i'd think it was um how do you print color though i just i, I know you the, these things must seem second nature to you but like it's <laughs> how do you just, print color so it's white fabric mind. right and then you get the print so the print will look like this on a piece on the on the computer file yeah so this is the print yeah on like a big sheet wow and then it's we like work out how high the biggest pattern piece is yeah on the biggest size right of like an extra large and then that's the biggest size that the fabric needs to be yeah. and then there's a lot of wastage with this type of jacket because it needs to be the same print which yeah. is not very sustainable so it's not good but it does look nice um so yeah, basically then you print this like uh, ombre pattern again and again and again, repeated on the fabric, and then you put the pattern pieces on it and then cut it out like that. But this top bit is actually a seam, okay. and this is that colour fabric, but it's not part of the ombre. Right. So it's technically a set different fabric, but it's the same fabric, just different colour. Very sick. I love the visibility of the seams like someone yeah. that works in technical garment so this is tape seams yeah so yeah. that's why that's what it looks like on do you inside. like to kind of show you working with a garment do you love being able to see the technical elements of it mm. kind of 
as part of the aesthetic. Yeah, definitely. I think like one of my favorite parts of designing is like secret stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like secret pockets yeah. or like really ergonomically designed parts or like love to put a double ended zip on everything yeah. just because it is cool. stylish dream. And also for like women's wear, like it's just often I want things to be shorter. Yeah. And if it's got a double ended zip, I can just open it and like tuck it. So it's yeah. just way easier. Like early 2000 Oakley's jackets are my favorite. They're just so good for design and details and like, like function. And it's just, yeah. It seems to be a recurring theme for real fashion heads that these mm. secrets are what gets them excited. Yeah. Like you've seen, yeah, yeah. You see a lot of products, you touch a lot of products, you did, you know, the, these are the little quirks that do it for you. And you might not even notice it until you've had the jacket for like th three, six months. And yeah. then you're like, oh, there's a pocket there. Yeah. Or amazing, like there's a pocket in a pocket. Yeah. Top three selected. Uh, we've kind of touched on this a little bit with the two-way zips and things mm. like that. And I know technical detailing is massively important to the work you do at PMO. But mm. can you give me three little kind of clothing Easter eggs, three little technical aspects of design that really get your creative juices flowing? Mm. Yeah, so I would say like the secret designs is like top, the little kind of like hidden surprises. Mm. Um Another thing is like field testing. Right. So it's so interesting to get a design back, wear it on like when you're outside rock climbing or like wear it when you're hiking and just be like, oh, this needs to change. This needs to change. And then you get another iteration of it back and then you just keep like working with it. And it's really interesting part of design to really work with like the functionality and the mobility and you know maybe it needs to be more waterproof or maybe it needs a softer fabric or maybe it needs ergonomic knees in it um so yeah that's like a really interesting like part of the design process and you've been doing this kind of work for a long time now mm. so you, maybe you wouldn't make some of the mistakes that you would have made earlier in your career but is it only in the field testing that these things reveal themselves to you yeah i think sometimes you really need to do that, especially when you're designing functional clothing, because, right. you know, we design on a sketch. Yeah. And often you'll have like a piece of clothing that you're basing it on, or maybe it's like an, a piece of my own clothing, or maybe it's an old season, like trousers, for example. But until you've like actually put it on, and sometimes we do this in fits, like when we're like fitting on the fit model to like right. get their perspective. But sometimes I really need to know how it feels to know how to design it properly. Yeah. I suppose when you're doing technical clothing and you're really trying to push what is possible and you're trying to do interesting things, mm. then you are going to run into more of these kind of teething yeah. issues, I guess. So yeah, it's par for the course, isn't it? I had a pair of trousers with magnetic flies on them, which sounds cool. Easy oh. up, easy down. Um, but they always used to roosh in a very unfortunate way, um, left people asking questions. So, yeah, they obviously weren't field tested enough, I don't think. Yeah, I think when you're working with, like, complicated designs or, like, even trying to innovate, you need a lot of iterations. Yeah. And I think that sometimes it can be quite frustrating because samples obviously cost money for us. So... And you want to be mindful of sustainability, so you don't want to make too many iterations. But yeah. sometimes it does not translate when you like send off a CAD and then you get the design back and you're like, huh, mm. that's not really what I meant. But you really want to keep working on it 
you just got to keep going. Yeah. So that's two out of our top three. Is there a third mm. one? It's a tricky question, I know, but... I guess, like, especially at PMO, we're really interested in fabric. So, you know, with functional fabric, a lot of the time you just kind of get these, like, the same colours, the same Gore-Tex, the same everything. Um, and we've really tried to kind of push the boat out and be quite experimental with fabrics. Yeah. So looking at different wash techniques, different dyeing, different prints, um, and things like that. And then also adding the technical attributes on top. So sometimes we found that, you know, they don't work at the same technical level, but sometimes they do. And I guess that process of like experimenting is really exciting. Purple Mountain seems to be going from strength to strength. Each season looks kind of more and more adventurous in terms of the boundary pushing and the innovation. You must be pretty proud of what you've created there. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, we're super proud of it. Like, it's been it's been a journey, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've worked with some amazing people, like I mentioned, uh, Rory and Jack, and our sales team are so helpful. You know, they really, like, go above and beyond what they're supposed to be doing for us. It's so good. I think we are kind of like finding our feet a little bit more each season and just really getting excited about what we can achieve and learning as we go. And yeah, just, yeah, get Amazing. into it. Big up. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what's next for you personally, professionally outside of PMO. Tell us about the kind of climbing stuff that you're doing and going to be doing more of in the future. What's on the cards? Yeah, so we're just kicking off our first Gorp Girls Climbing Club. So that'll be every two weeks um, meeting and it's we've gained sponsorship from a brand. So it's free okay. for everyone that wants to come. Nice. Um, so I'm going to be leading that and it will be kind of like teaching um, some kind of like new. It's, it's aimed at people who can already climb. Yeah. Um, improvers but it's just like getting like a, you know a group together so like women can climb as a group and then the idea is that they'll make their own friends and then climb together exactly kind of yeah. and we just kind of want to get this supportive group together so more people feel like they can come to the climbing gyms um, and then we will start the workshops again they'll kick off soon which is the introduction to workshops yeah. beginners workshops get on down there join the club like yeah. I know I went climbing outside first before I ever went to a climbing wall and was very scared to go you into... You went outside first? For quite a long wow. time, yeah. I know that's a, a weird that's way around doing it, but I was intimidated to do it and could only go because there were people there making that space. So it's ace mm. that you've done that. Um, so, yeah, big I think one. it's pretty cool that you went outside first. You must have gone into a gym and been like, this is soft as shit. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just so different, so <laughs> yeah, weird. Yeah, it's so different. I was climbing yeah. with a dude who was just a total Where beast. Where did you go? Armscliff in mm. Leeds, you know. Yeah. I was climbing with my mate Tom Peckett, who I used to live with. He was like a local bouldering legend, you know. He could do everything there. And I was just that going was... for the first time. And Aww. it was a great way of learning. But then, yeah, after having gone outside, you know, I thought, I'm not going to know the etiquette. I'm not going to know the, the the confused by all these colours mm. kind of thing. So it was was weird, but it's good when you've got someone to teach. Yeah, it, so. definitely. I think, like, I've found now that I'm a bit more confident in the kind of in those spaces that I've actually found like my people actually especially mm. at yonder you know the community there is so amazing and I will just go there on my own like most of the time and you know we have this like little climbing crew that we've developed which is like Luke and some other people and his girlfriend Amber and then like a few other people that we've got 
and we're just like always there and we always just like hang out and I'll go on my own and then there's like you know 10 people that I know there and you just good, hang out and it's you know I think that you need a bit of confidence to be able to like go there and, and meet those people and that's what we want to facilitate with Gork Girls. Nice, nice. And on the professional front, I've noticed you're doing some interesting things with some cool brands on the Insta. Where are you up to with that? Yeah, I mean, the kind of Satisfy stuff and the Woolrich um, trip were amazing. I've got some new things coming up in those areas, which can't really okay, talk about yet, right. but there's some exciting things coming through. So keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, follow <laughs> what you're at. Um, GS underscore BS1. What's I feel it? like I need to change it. All right. What's it's supposed to be like Georgia Smith bullshit. Yeah, I was going to say. That's the obvious <laughs> but, read. Yeah, I do keep thinking that I probably should change it to no, something like slightly more professional now, <laughs> but that's who I am. Nice. Last question for you. How much on a scale of one to 10 do you care about clothes? Okay, so I think, I mean, my whole life is based around clothes. Pro, I think professional, uh, social, Yeah, everything. I think I care about them a lot, but I don't care about what people think of me yeah yeah so i wear everything for me at i'm all? designing everything for me don't care at all not really okay how um, do you feel when someone says you look great in something i mean when somebody like notices my outfit and says you look great like obviously i feel good but I if feel... nobody mentioned my outfit all day i wouldn't be like oh my god does anybody okay. care like yeah 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 i mean i do really care about clothes yeah which I feel like makes me sound quite shallow. <laughs> Come off it. You've got, like, we've just recorded two hours talking about clothes and culture. It's not shallow, it's everything, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Okay, thanks for that. Thanks a million for doing it, George. Really appreciate Thank your you time. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Nice one. She's mint, isn't she? Total, total inspiration. Thanks, George, for being ace and for bringing us birthday cake. Future guest, step up. Okie doke, that is about it for this series. Thanks to Mudge, Kian, Kara, Noah, Alex, Agnes, Namisha, Pearl, Matt Sellers, Sam Black, Oscar Kenny, Sam Birch, Neil Summers, Native Places, Aston Mike, Sane Comms, All Conditions Media, and everyone who shared, reviewed, or supported. Love you all. Fitbit breakdowns out later this week, and we'll be back for series three in about a month. See you then. Sweet, it feels amazing.